0: You probably have your fingers in Romans, the fifth chapter, and I want you to keep them there, but I want you to turn with me as well to Second Peter, the third chapter, the final verses of this chapter. Actually, the final verses of this book, and in all likelihood, some of the final verses that Peter were, uh, was involved in, in writing under the direction of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I want you to listen to a couple things that emerge in this passage that we read that are really applicable to what we're doing today. First of all, Peter acknowledges this. There are things that are included in the scriptures that are very, very difficult to understand. He even makes reference specifically to some of Paul's writings. Now, you remember that the writer of the book of Romans was the Apostle Paul. And very honestly, the passage that we're looking at today is extremely difficult. And so we look at this with the understanding that we're going to be moving into a realm that is hard to understand in one sense. But in another sense, it's rather easy to understand. This is kind of like reading the Cliff Notes, um, the uh, Romans 5 for Dummies version. Okay, It would be something like this. If you want to understand how sinners became sinners and can be transformed into forgiven possessors of eternal life, it is very easily explained in in this. In Adam, all die. Your relationship with Adam is what ultimately leads to your condemnation because you are born with the nature that Adam plunged us into, which is a sinful nature, and then, as we make decisions and choices, we actually work out sinful acts that demonstrate what we already are. The good part is that in Christ, all will be made alive so that when we put our faith and trust in Christ as Savior, we pass from death into life, we become part of his body the way the scriptures describe it. We are clothed in his righteousness so that when we stand before the judge, we are actually looked at as those who possess the righteousness of Christ when we embrace him as our Savior. Because at the moment we trust in Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Therefore, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Those are the cliff notes. That's Romans 5 for dummies. And I don't want to emphasize the word dummies. Let me put it this way. That's for those who are still very, very young in their faith. They can be satisfied with that understanding. They can embrace that and be completely at Peace with God because they understand that their righteousness is found in the person of Christ. But I also want you to notice this that in the context of saying there are some things in the scriptures that are very difficult to understand, do you notice what Peter goes on to say? Don't cave in to simplicity because there are some who have camped in the realm of the simple who have not tried to understand deeper, more theologically challenging concepts who find themselves now in a position where they begin to twist scriptures. And and I've seen this done. I see people turn to the scriptures who want to just stay at a certain level and then they read something that they don't get and they make it say something it doesn't really say. It's kind of like the, the, the small group Bible studies where you just read a passage of Scripture and you say something like this. Well, what does that mean to you? That's nonsense. The only question to ask is, what did God tell us in this this passage? What is He saying? Now, how does that apply to me? That now becomes the issue. So what we're dealing with at this point, if we remain in the simplicity, is being... Subject to deception by people who would twist the scriptures and going along with those twists because we really don't understand the truth. Paul says, or Peter says, but grow when it's difficult, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Christ. So it does not allow us to bask in the simplicity of the surface elements of truth. It requires that we go into some pretty tough areas, and today we're going to. It's going to be tough. And what we're led to understand is something like this. Let me me maybe put it into a, a word picture for us. It's like taking a crown. And it's a, a solid gold crown and you can place it on the head. And this crown is beautiful and, and it reflects the, the, uh, the high position of the person wearing it. But to really add to the beauty and to the value of that crown, you begin to insert some gems. And you, you put these gems in there, although the crown itself remains the same. In Adam all die, and Christ all shall be made alive, the crown. Then there are gems that are introduced into that so that we have a more valuable understanding of what God has said. Is this making sense? Okay, you're following along here? All right, now stay with me. Because when you begin to understand some of these realities, the questions of life that are really tough begin to find answers. Where do babies go when they die? No, you say heaven. How do you know? How do you know? Uh, Let's try this one. Um, I have a neighbor who is just the nicest person in the world. They are kind. They are generous. They are moral. As a matter of fact, they go to church every, every week. They're, they're very faithful in, in going to church. Um, when there's a need that I have, I can go to them. And my neighbor will respond in a way that he is capable of doing. And he is just the nicest, most generous, kindest person there is. And then, there is the guy who for one reason or another has such a twisted mind that he becomes a serial killer. He takes the lives of people because he enjoys it. He finds it something that reaches deep within him and he finds that taking another life just really gives him a thrill. And he does this time after time after time after time. And finally he's caught and he's incarcerated, and he is facing the death penalty. And someone comes to visit him and opens up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this serial killer sees for the first time that there is a God in heaven who loves him, who gave his son to die in that serial killer's place, to bear the penalty of that individual's sin and this serial killer responds by opening up his heart and accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and the needles are placed within his arm and the, the chemicals are turned on and in a few matter minutes he takes deep breaths and then he dies and he opens his eyes and he's standing in the glories of heaven. And my neighbor dies. And he opens his eyes. And he is in hell. How does that work? How can that be? Romans chapter 5. We're talking about the tale of two men. The Bible tells us specifically in this passage that the first man, Adam, was the seminal head, or if you choose, the federal head of the human race, either as representative or as the one in whom all other people already had their presence, including us. The other man is the Fulfillment of the type that Adam was. Adam was merely a shadow of the perfect man who would come. The other man is the person Christ, Jesus. God the Son, come in the flesh. And now, Paul writes to us about the importance of understanding To whom or with whom are you identified? By simple birth, you're already identified with Adam. Notice, back in that 12th verse once again, it says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, that's mankind, it is not males, it is all of mankind, spread to all mankind because all sinned. This sin occurs, the sin that we have within us occurs because of our identification with Christ, or pardon me, with Adam. Through Adam, there are certain things that we receive. One is this. Through him came sin. At the moment of conception, I am conceived a sinner. David said in Psalm chapter 51, In sin did my mother conceive me. Also, in Psalm chapter 58, I want to read this to you because in chapter 58, verse 3, he says this The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. We've talked about that before. How how do babies speak lies? They cry to make you think they're hurting when all they want is for you to pick them up. They've lied to you. They know that if they cry, I mean, they do that when they're hungry, so you come and you feed them. They do that if they hurt themselves, so you come and you embrace them and you you try to make them feel comfortable, but they just want you to pay attention, so they cry. And you think, oh, are you hungry? No. No. Okay. Uh, what Did you hurt yourself? Nope. But I got you. I, yeah, you're holding me. From the moment we're born, it's there within us. And you all know that. You don't teach children to <laughs> sin. They do it on their own. And that sin entered the human race as Satan who had fallen, though he was created as the most beautiful of the cherubim, one of the segments of the angelic creation. There were the seraphim, there were the cherubim, and then there was the general classification of the angels. And here is Satan, Lucifer, who was as beautiful as any of the creation. And he looked at himself, and he looked at God, and he said, I will be like God. And when he rebelled against God, and there were others of the angelic host that followed him, they fell. God allowed this to enter the human race by virtue of Satan's tempting Eve, who was deceived, and thus not the reason through which sin entered the world, but Adam, who deliberately disobeyed, and chose to follow Eve, became the one who crashed the entire human race into sin. So, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. In that all sinned. Not talking about your personal sins, it's talking about your identification with Adam. We sinned in him. Then, he gave us something else. He gave us death. Look at verses 13 and 14. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the one transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. All of us sin, commit acts of sin, and die because of our identification with Adam as either our seminal head or our representative head. Either one brings us to the same conclusion. There is a a unity that exists within the human race that brings us all together and has us standing before God as those condemned to death. And death reigned ever since Adam. Just take a look at the cemeteries. Have you ever driven by um, any of the uh, military cemeteries? They're they're really... uh, it's hard to describe because they are, they are somewhat awesome in their appearance because of the hundreds and hundreds of white markers that are in perfect rows and in perfect columns. And within those you see the testimony that as in Adam, all die. And then there's the problem of the spiritual death. There is a separation from God because of our sin. We have become alienated from God and in the initial response, God has to turn away from mankind and man turns away from God because he's alienated and we've become enemies of God. So we're in a tough spot. And there is no hope with God's back to us and our back to him. This is from Adam. And by the way, let's not be too hard on him because we would do exactly the same thing because we have the opportunity to respond in righteous behavior and we don't. We sin too. I understand we have that nature. He did not. But what Paul is talking about here is this. He had one command to obey. Just one. And he disobeyed. From the time of Adam, who plunged us into sin, to the time of Moses, there was no law. There was nothing that declared the standards of God's righteous requirements. And yet, what Paul told us in the second chapter is this, that a point comes in a person's life where God's law is written within their hearts and in their consciences. Do you remember when we went over that? Okay, some of you shaking your heads. If you didn't, go back and read the second chapter again. So man became a law to himself. I mentioned to you earlier about the gems that we might place in the crown, and let me throw one out to you right now. Earlier, I asked the question, where do babies go when they die? And I think probably every one of us in here would say, oh, they they go to heaven because of our compassion, and we know that our God is compassionate. But God is also totally offended by sin. I cannot tell you that this is without debate as to what verse 13 tells us that gives us perhaps a glimpse of what God does with babies or let's put it this way, with people who are so mentally incapable of understanding right from wrong, where do they go when they die? I think we're given a glimpse of this. And by the way, some of you immediately are going to be running to these passages. David said when his baby that he had conceived with uh, Bathsheba, yeah, the baby with Bathsheba, you remember it got sick and died? And then in his lament, he said, I will come and be with you. And people automatically say, well, David was obviously a believer, and when he says that, he means that he's going to join paradise with that little one. But again, that may be a bit of a stretch, because it may mean nothing more than this. David is going to die too. His body will be placed in the ground. So we can't prove it. I think it's a good little coal to throw on the fire. I do believe babies go to heaven when they die. I just want you to understand that. Okay? Okay. Uh, there are those who would look at Jesus when he welcomed the little ones to come to him and he said, don't forbid them because of such is the kingdom of heaven. I think that's a pretty good indicator. But I think this might be one too. Look at verse 13. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. The nature of sin is in a baby at the time of conception. It is going to result in physical death. Babies do not escape that. Babies die. But where there is no law, sin is not imputed. And this may be... The closest we can get to an understanding that there is a point in which one begins to understand righteousness and sinfulness, you've heard it referred to as an age of accountability, when the law that is written in the hearts of man becomes active. What age? I don't know. Here's what I do know. Where there's no law, sin is not imputed. And those that died between Adam and and Moses who did not have a law because the law was written in their hearts and they did not respond to that appropriately. Some did, but many didn't. And those that didn't were condemned because of the sin that was in their hearts. And those that did respond in faith, just like Abraham... Abram believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so he passes from death into life because there was a law written in man's heart. But until man is old enough to understand or capable of understanding, it seems to me that the eternal consequence of sin is not applied. Okay? Do you all understand what I'm trying to say here? Okay? Now, I may be wrong. There there may be something else here. But I'm asked that question a lot. Where do babies go when they die? Oh, they go to heaven. We better have something to back that up. I think this may be as close as we get. I think the appropriate answer that is absolutely certain is this. God does all things right. And whatever he does is right. Can you all go with that? Can you go with that? Okay, so, didn't I tell you this was tough? Let's move on. Uh, a third thing that Adam gave us was condemnation and judgment. Judgment. Or vice versa. Look with me, if you will, please, there at verse 14. Pardon me, 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ, abounds to many, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification." Paul is drawing the distinction between identification with Adam and identification with Christ. And he says, through Adam, because of what he did, came judgment and came condemnation. And when we evaluate what that means, there's only part of that that we can really lay hold of because What we can see becomes a testimony to what we can't see. Does that make sense? We can see physical death. And as a result of that we have a glimpse of the reality of spiritual death. Now, if someone wants to press this, we can press it even further and say this. You can see in people's lives the the deadness of their spirit and their soul. Can, Can you see in sinful people the fact that there is just not spiritual life? There's no spiritual understanding there? You can see it. But sometimes even believers who have spiritual life are living such carnal lives, it looks as if they're, they're still dead, and it becomes really difficult. So we, we move into a realm that we can clearly see, which is physical death, and we embrace as a result of that the reality of what God has told us, that there is also a spiritual death, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, and then there will ultimately be eternal death. A separation from God for all eternity. So, Adam brought this into our existence. And as a result of this, all of us are lost and condemned because of what we read in verse 18. Notice, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. In addition to the judgment, verse 20 tells us that the law also came in order to increase the transgression. Look with me at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This increase in sin can be looked at in two different ways the law has a tendency, according to what Paul is going to tell us later in the book of Romans, to increase our misbehavior. He says, when the law came, it is my natural inclination to break it. (laughs) There's just something about those restrictions in law that make you want to break them. Do you guys understand what I'm talking about there? You don't? See, I, I looked at the kids because they, they would be much more, you guys are much more responsive facially. I can see the, the way you smile and the, the, the way you react uh, or the way you frown or the way you try not to smile and react. And I see it in your faces. And then the adults are far more... feel like I'm in a monastery sometimes. Anyway, where there are rules, do you guys like rules? Yes. Sometimes the, the rules are helpful. You know, they, you know what a stupid question of me to ask. The The rules can be very, very helpful because they, they help protect you. I mean, one law is you're not supposed to steal from somebody else, and so you... You really shouldn't have other kids trying to steal your cell phones and stuff like that, though. some of you may have had that happen. And it can happen in a Christian school. We understand that, though it better not, because we believe in capital punishment, and uh, So you, you see, the, the rule is there, but when the rule is there, it just there's something about it that you have to keep your shirts tucked in, right, guys? Mr. Lopez? Do they have to keep their shirts tucked? They, I thought the elementary kids did. What? Where's Mrs. Utz? Do the elementary kids have to keep their shirts tucked in? Oh. Okay, we're going to have to rewrite this passage of Scripture. <laughs> Because this is not going the way I fully anticipated. What I expected was this. Yes, the rule is they have to keep their shirts tucked in. But when I walk around the campus, I see all the little kids with their shirts out. And then I occasionally will hear a teacher say, get your shirt tucked in, get your shirt tucked in. Are you guys allowed to to wear shirts that have writing and stuff on them? No. Guess what? Some still do. Well, they're not going to tell me what to do that government of ours is not going to tell me to do 40 miles an hour. I'm saying this in a lighthearted fashion, but you all understand, when there's law, we rebel. The natural inclination is to go against it. But in addition to that, when there's law, we begin to see just how bad we really are. And we have to keep in our government rewriting more laws because you got people who, who won't pay their taxes. And so you, you try to, to make a law that, that requires, listen, there, there's going to be a penalty for this. And you say, ah, oh, yeah, I didn't pay my taxes for years. I'm not telling you me. This is illustration didn't pay my taxes for years and now uh what what i'm having happen is uh oh man i could go to jail for that and i begin to see the the ramifications of what that means and so the law the lord says that when the law entered the the breaking of the law, the realization of what the law requires became much more in focus and we began to see more the reality of our lostness. Sadly, I have to end there. This was not my intent. But this is harder than I thought. No, I can't. I can't. There are people that have lunch, and I was hoping they'd invite me (laughs) before the roast burned. No, I'm just kidding. Here's the deal. I, I regret this because I'm not giving you the picture of the hope that we have in Christ. But let me just summarize this and say this to you. All that Adam destroyed and ruined because of his sin, Jesus Christ has not only repaired, he has built new. And if you know Christ as your Savior and you trust in his death for your sins, his burial, his resurrection, we pass from death into life and that life he gives us is eternal life, a quality of life that starts right now. We change, we're different people because now, by the way, I have to say this at this point because this is way too important. When Christ died on the cross, guess what God did? He turned back to man. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He is, we are not his enemy anymore. But until we put our faith and trust in Christ, I'll have none of it. But now I trust Christ. And I'm reconciled and he gives me life. That's why Paul said, be ye reconciled to God. We are the ones that have to turn and embrace Christ and pass from death into life. By the way, why is it that God can be good even to to horrible sinners? It's because through the death of Christ he was reconciled to the world. He could look favorably even on lost mankind. And he treats the saint and the sinner with kindness and mercy and he extends to them blessings. And it's part of the reason why we as believers who don't have the whole picture wonder why it is that evil people can be blessed and enjoy so many good things in life when it seems like we're just going through trials and difficulties. That's important important for you to understand. That, that's from next week, but do you understand that today? God can look favorably upon mankind because of the death of Jesus Christ, and if you trust Christ as Savior, you turn back to him and are embraced by him with the gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, and Lord, I pray that though there are things that we arrive at in your word that are very difficult, The plan of salvation is still very simple. I pray that people here today who don't know the Savior would trust him. In his name we pray, amen. God bless you.